Welcome to our first conclusion interview. In these interviews, we will be taking a look back at the game that we just played in, take a deeper look into some of the gaming systems and the homebrew worlds that we had the opportunity to enjoy, as well as talking about some post-game thoughts and having some time for GM advice. I am here right now with James Intracasso, the GM of this adventure that we all just listened to. James, once again, I just want to thank you from the Block Party Podcast Network. Just thank you so much for just being the GM for this episode. It was fantastic to play in and... Thank you so much for, for doing this. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me, really, from the bottom of my heart. I had a great, great time. I love all of the work <laughs> that you're doing. So proud to be part of this new venture that you guys are on, and I can't wait to listen to the rest of the shows yeah. because I know you've got some killer GMs lined up as well. So We do, we do, and you were a killer first GM, and thank you so much once again. So let's talk a little bit in our conclusion interview about some things that we didn't want to talk about in our introduction interview because we wouldn't want to have given some stuff away. So right now we'd like to talk about a couple things that were introduced in-game that have to do with your homebrew setting and your homebrew world. So the first thing I want to ask you to maybe talk a little bit more about is in our introduction interview, you talked about how in Exploration Age, politics is huge in Exploration Age. And knowing that and and playing in this game, I cued in on the fact that we were fighting these lycanthropes and it wasn't just described by you as, oh, these are these monsters who, you know, because they're lycanthropes altogether, they've banded together to go and like eat people or whatever, you know, you, in, you think classically, oh, these are monsters running around, but you didn't describe <laughs> them just as monsters, but as these, this is a terrorist group known as the Brotherhood of the Moon. So it already had that sense of like, there's something more going on here politically. Can you talk a little bit to that and maybe about this political aspect of Exploration Age? Yeah, I mean, the Brotherhood of the Moon is so great for me as a villain because they do have an agenda. The lycanthropes who are part of that terrorist group really believe that lycanthropes are the next stage in humanoid evolution and that they are the superior races. And why wouldn't other humanoids mm -hmm. want these awesome powers? You know, increased speed, increased strength, resistance to metals that aren't silver, right? Yeah. Like, I would, I would probably let a dog bite me if I would get those powers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the you know the problem is with lycanthropy is that like it twists your mind it can make you evil right there's an alignment shift usually involved so these get people want to go around and infiltrate sort of the top offices and get those people turned into lycanthropes in this country of Taliana so that they can sort of take over and then infect people. It's kind of like the Brotherhood of the Mutants hmm, in X-Men. Yeah. You know, they believe that mutants are superior to humans. Only lycanthropes have a way to actually change every humanoid race into what they are, right? So that's where that idea came from. And this idea of politics is spread throughout all of Exploration Age. So there's a lot of villainous organizations that have some idea. There's the Aberrant Alliance, which works with aberrations because aberrations were the first people on the planet or plane of Canis. And they believe like, well, we, we took 
this world from them, and we should help mind flares and beholders reinherit the earth because it's rightfully theirs. Oh, so these are these are humans like in a group that are trying to like give it back to the aberrations. Then exactly. So there's all sorts of threads like this about you know that have some sort of cause that's historical or that kind of thing, and it. It's intertwined in politics. You know, the, the king or a noble might be involved in one of these groups. Or one of these groups might seek to corrupt or kill or bribe such a local, you know? And then there's also, you know, we didn't get into this, but there are drug dealers who are dealing this orange spice, which, you know, corrupts your mind. And there's all sort of political inroads to that. They're using the Underdark. They're working, you know, with organizations that ship things to work as smugglers. So there is a lot of different things going on. Uh, the whole idea of Exploration Age was you could have an adventure that takes place in a single city, and there would be enough layers in it that you could play a whole campaign, levels 1 through 20, in just that city. Or... You could have a whole campaign, levels 1 through 20, that takes you all over the map. So it's a, it's a huge, huge world that, uh, that we're working on there, and politics are a really, really big part of it. I love the idea with the Brotherhood of the Moon that you mentioned that they think that they're helping the world. And I love villains like that. And we played in this story, and we were looking at the Brotherhood of the Moon like villains because we're like no this is not right especially in the fact that <laughs> once they kidnap children like it's it's seen as very very villainous but i think the awesome part of that is that there's another story here waiting to be told in exploration age about you have players who are part of the brotherhood of the moon that they think they're doing the right thing and yeah maybe their alignment is like evil but it's it's not seen as evil to them. They think they are trying to make the world better. And you spoke to a lot of different groups that a lot of them think that they they are the heroes of their own story. And I really, really like that. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is an opportunity, especially if you're the GM who allows an evil character to be part of a party or that sort of thing. There's really a lot of opportunities for that to go on. There's a country in Exploration Age called Parian that's a little like North Korea um, in <laughs> in the sense that, uh, you know, they are sort of the citizens. I don't know why. You're, who are you worried is listening to North Korea? <laughs> I just, you know, I don't want the, the DMB now. <laughs> network to get hacked or something uh, <laughs> we do not agree with all statements <laughs> but it's one of those ideas that you know the, the leader the emperor of this country is treated like god and all of his citizens believe he is perfection and he's never done anything wrong and you can play a character who comes from that land who has those beliefs and is working alongside people they also you know practice slavery so there's some interesting conflict that your party can get into there where if you can sort of handle that and your players can handle that there's a lot of really great opportunities to be had there within exploration age so tell us a little bit more about we inter we encountered some of the technology of exploration age through uh like we said in the beginning interview our character fifth had a gun that shot and did radiate damage, and every single time he did, he loved to say pew pew. We had <laughs> the road was really really cool. They were we were still riding horses, but they had these magical horseshoes that they they worked in tune with this road that had this magical attribute to it that sped it up so that you could go and travel really fast. Can you tell us a little bit more about that in whether it's 
with those specific things or in the world? Those specific things were created, uh, some of them by necessity, actually. When I first drew the map, I wanted the world of Canis to be as large as Earth. And I actually ended up with something a little larger than Earth, but I thought, okay, now I've got all these towns and cities, and they're super far spread out. Some of that's really cool if you're playing a game that needs a hex crawl, right? And you're exploring mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But sometimes you just want to get from one place to the other very quickly, um, and maybe your characters don't know the teleport spell yet and can't afford to have a high level caster cast it or whatever so i came up with a couple different modes of transportation and these are by no means necessarily like the most original thing ever um there's airships and then when thinking about airships i thought well there's all this unexplored space on the map an airship could just fly over and map it all so we need to have the airships need to refuel every so often and these refueling stations they're magic right so the remagicking stations take a long time to build and because they take a long time to build they're not built in this undiscovered continent yet so the airships aren't over there but there are all sorts of other things there are you mentioned the the roads uh so there are these magic roads that have been built on the various continents that connect one city to the next and if you have a horse that has the a special kind of cheaper magic horseshoe and when it connects with this road they travel three times as fast so you're covering ground a lot faster and you have the option of doing it so travel was one thing i had made such a big map and i didn't want people to spend so much time getting from point A to point B that they got, you know, they missed their story. So that was one of the reasons for technology. And then guns and bombs and some other things that are involved in there came about because one of the players that plays in my campaign, a guy named Rudy Basso, who's on the podcast all the time, who is amazing, said, I'd really like to play in a world where there are some form of firearm so there's primitive firearms like muskets and flintlock pistols that kind of thing and then there are these magical aberrant rifles that don't really do any more damage than a short bow or a long bow but they do different elemental damage types fire cold acid lightning that kind of thing uh, radiant damage right so th that came about because remember we talked about the aberrations first founded this world they're ruins are sort of spread throughout the globe. No matter where you go, you can find an old aberrant city or an old aberrant mine or something like that. And then when you delve in, they find these old pieces of technology that they use to develop these magic guns, the magic roads, the airships, that kind of thing. So everything is sort of weird and alien in flavor because it was influenced by the presence of these aberrations that were on the planet. I like that idea a lot of uh, finding alien technology, although it's not really alien technology <laughs> because it's native to this world, but it's really, really cool. And that aspect of where did all this technology come from? One thing I thought of when you were uh, talking about, uh, even at the beginning with the, oh, well, uh, we have airships and why wouldn't the world just be mapped out completely because of airships? And I think that one of the greatest parts of world building is when you run across questions like that that at first you're like oh man this is a problem and a lot of times i think our players are the ones that bring them up of like oh well if this is the case in your world then why isn't this the case in your world and you're like <laughs> no i don't want that to be the case in my world but then you have to ask yourself okay if that's not how it's going to be because what they're saying makes a lot of sense what is the answer to that and I think that's something that leads to more world building and more amazing storytelling questions. And I think part of world building is 
accepting those questions and those things that go, yeah, that doesn't make sense and going, well, how can I make that make sense with my world? What, what is the answer to that? And I love that. I, I love that so much. Yeah, I, you are absolutely right. And I agree 100%. If there's anything that 20 years of DMing has taught me, it's that you should always place test stuff with your players because they're mm-hmm. going to point out to you what doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> whether it's mechanics or flavor or anything, they're always there for you. So it's great. So you described when we were talking off air, you described your world and the adventure that we just played in as high fantasy. So this is what you you were going for in this adventure, in this world. Speak to that a little bit about high fantasy and why you embraced that. Sure. Well, I'm the kind of player and I'm the kind of GM who really likes adventures where big things happen. And big things don't necessarily mean world-shaking events, although this adventure could be the prelude to a campaign that leads to some world-shaking events involving the Brotherhood of the Moon, right? But there are some really cool action set pieces. You know, the the final battle takes place and lava is spilling out all over the floor. And that's ridiculous and over the top, but I love it. (laughs) You know, I I love those kind of Indiana Jones, over-the-top, Age of Ultron moments where a city comes falling out of the sky, that sort of thing. So I think when you have high magical technology, when you have politics that involve armies and organizations and secret cults and all that sort of thing, you can always have big magic robots raining things down on people or a lava-filled basement in an inn in the middle of nowhere or a dragonborn fighter leaping from the top of a hayloft onto an enemy down below. Um, You know, those are the kinds of things that I look for. Those are the kinds of things I like my players to take risks. So I am often more lenient in what happens uh, because they're not going to take the risks if they think their character is going to die all the time. But (laughs) if, uh, you know, if you make it like an action movie where certainly they are at risk and certainly they can die and have died in my campaigns a bunch. But if you make your story kind of this pulp over the top fast and furious kind of feeling (laughs) you get some really really great moments which i know aren't necessarily for everybody but they are definitely for me and my players and the way we play so i have a question for you in this game that we just played that our listeners all just listened to what was your favorite moment maybe it was a moment that you you saw coming maybe it was a moment that you didn't see coming what was your favorite moment that you take away from this game you're like that was fantastic (laughs) well this was the first time i ever met morgan um (laughs) and uh he makes quite the impression doesn't he (laughs) he does i i love him he is amazing amazing and i have to say when you all found the silverware that had been hidden away and um you know resolved like oh okay this is great and silver it's going to help us against these whereats and you told him (laughs) that he his character should put all of the various spoons and things between his fists uh and then he did and actually used that in combat and he climbed that wearbore <laughs> with the forks it was fantastic exactly and it ties back into your last question right like that's the kind of over-the-top yeah. ridiculous thing that i really love to see so it's a toss-up between that and you leaping from a window onto the back of a were rat to kill him yeah, those so, were both awesome moments. Yeah, and I also have to say, uh, I know this is me uh, taking way more than you said that I should take. <laughs> the brawl in the beginning of the tavern was also really great, and I did yeah. almost skip past that. And I, if you had not said, hold on, 
We need to we need to play this out, which is great. You should always listen to your players when they say things like that. That was brilliant, and I loved that it. Was fun. So it's a time during the interview where I want you, James, to plug yourself. Tell us about where can the listeners go. We've mentioned that you're part of the Tome Show podcast network tell us where they can go to listen to you to read your blog if they want to play in exploration age and see we played with many of the items that you had created plug yourself humbleness aside go for it (laughs) sure so let's start with the podcast since these are podcast listeners out there Uh, the tome show is a RPG news, reviews, and interviews show. We focus sort of on things that are topical, and I host a podcast called The Roundtable, where every week we talk about the latest, usually Dungeons & Dragons news, but we'll talk about other news as well. There's also book clubs and all kinds of greatness there. You can listen to me on another podcast called Gamer to Gamer, where I interview designers and authors and people who work at Wizards of the Coast and other people in the industry. The Tome Show is at thetomeshow.com. My blog, worldbuilderblog.me, has a lot of information on Exploration Age. It actually has a copy of the adventure that we played that I wrote. People can go. They can download it for free. It will cost you nothing. Check it out. Play it at your table. Send me feedback. I'm always into changing things around. So go to worldbuilderblog.me to learn more about Exploration Age, to get the adventure we played, and to find links to all of my DMs, guild products, backgrounds, magic items, new monsters, all that good stuff. All my DMs, guild products are free or pay what you want. So check those out. Worldbuilderblog.me and thetomeshow.com has links to everything about me that's pertinent. Last but not least, we ask this, or we will ask this, because you are the first, to all of our GMs, but we want to end this interview with, if you had to give right now some last words or advice of wisdom to the other GMs out there, or those who are aspiring to be GMs, what would your last words to them be? My biggest thing would be have fun, you know, and I know that that's so cliche, but if you don't worry, it's just like playing any other game with your friends. Don't get too bogged down in the rules. Don't get too bogged down in your own story and think that you should sacrifice the fun of the other people. Remember that mainly you should have fun. Your players should have fun. And that usually means saying yes. So when you're in doubt about something, Go ahead, say yes, see how it turns out. You can always undo things as the DM if you need to undo them. Say yes, have fun. Thank you so much again, James. We really appreciate you coming on. Definitely go check out The Tome Show. Go check out World Builder Blog. Everything that James makes and works on is awesome, so you need to go and check that out. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mitch. This was a true honor, and it was awesome to play a game with you, so thank you. Here's to hoping that we do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. I'm on board. Well, Blockheads, this puts final conclusion on our very first actual play for the Game Master Showcase. If you like what you heard here, please go onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. Tell your friends about the GM Showcase. Help us spread the word. If you'd like to contact us at the GM Showcase, you can email us at thegmshowcase at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at GM underscore showcase. 
And last but not least, if you haven't already heard about the Block Party Podcast Network, we have other shows for you to check out, such as the Dungeon Masters Block, which is a podcast that's been around for a while now, and it is a podcast that is out there to help Dungeon Masters with their craft and their world building and their storytelling skills. So check that podcast out. Also, we have the Story Arc Podcast. Story Arc is a new podcast with the Block Party Podcast Network, so go and check that podcast out. Well, without any further ado, thank you for listening. Check back next month for a new game and a new GM to be showcased. Thanks, Blockheads. See you later.